Welcome to our podcast, Carefully Examining the Text. And today we study Psalm 74. Psalm 74 would be described as a psalm of national lament. Similar psalms are Psalm 44, Psalm 79, Psalm 89, and Psalm 137. Now, others would be included in this, but, but those are some, and there are other portions of the Scripture that deal with this type of thing beside the Psalms. Largely, the book of Lamentations is a series of national laments. This song may have been sung amidst fasting, as 1 Samuel chapter 7, verses 5 and 6, as 2 Chronicles 20, verses 1 through 13, describe a situation with prayer and fasting. It's hard for us to imagine the desperation, the defeat the Jewish people felt around 587 or 586 B.C., they were ripped off of the land that God promised Abraham and taken back into captivity. In many ways, their history as a nation started as being slaves in Egypt, and now they're going back in slavery to Babylon. They lost the land that God had promised and God had given them. They lost the king from the line of David in 587, 586, for 2 Kings 25 and Jeremiah 52 tell us that they captured the king. They killed his sons as he watches helplessly, and then they put out his eyes. And they lost the temple that Solomon had built around 960 B.C., the temple that had stood for almost 400 years, the temple which had been a meeting place between God and man, it was destroyed. They lost the land God promised. They lost the king that God had given them. And they lost the temple where God met with them in worship. And the people feel a sense of defeat, a sense of depression, and it seems like this has gone on forever. Now, I will say this. As you read the book of Jeremiah, as you read the book of Ezekiel, as you read Second Kings, you see clearly that this happened because of man's sins. It wasn't an accident of history. It was God's punishment for the sins of the people. In Psalm 74, we're not going to see a confession of sin on the part of Israel. We're not going to see that, but we're going to see these people who have been chastened crying out to God and begging Him for belief. Continually in our world, we get the question, if God rules, why has this happened? If God is in control of the universe, why did these evil things transpire? I want you to see that that question is not new. That question has always been asked, and that question is raised in the Bible. The first word after the heading of this psalm in Hebrew is the word why. Why? 
I have been asked that question several times just this week about different events. Why? I don't know the answer to it. But I do know when we take it to God, we are going to the right place. This psalm asks why in verse 1, in verse 11, and this psalm asks how long in verse 9 and verse 10. But the psalm is, Psalm 74, is a mascal of Asaph. All the psalms from 73 to, 70, to, 73 to 83 begin with Asaph's name. In the first three verses, O God, why have you rejected us forever? Why does your anger smoke against the sheep of your pasture? Remember your congregation, which you have purchased of old, which you have redeemed to be the tribe of your inheritance, and this Mount Zion where you have dwelt. Turn your footsteps toward the perpetual ruins. The enemy has damaged everything within your sanctuary. Your adversaries have roared into the midst of your meeting place. They have set up your own standards for signs. Excuse me. I read a little bit into verse 4, but in verses 1 through 3, you notice the worst use of the word forever. It's used in verse 1. In verse 3, it's translated perpetual in the New American Standard Bible. This same word will be used in verse 10 and in verse 19. When we are defeated, when we are broken, time stands still or drag so slowly that a few days of a crisis can seem like forever. I'm not saying that to minimize what these people were going through. I don't know how many days, how many years they had experienced all the results of the Babylonian army invading their land, mocking their God, destroying God's temple, I don't know how many years they have lived with this at this point, but it seems like forever. It seems like forever. Why, O oh God, have you rejected us forever? Why does your anger, why does your anger smoke against the sheep of your pasture? Why is your anger burning? against us. Now, we know the answer. In 2 Kings 24 and 2 Kings 25 and Jeremiah 52 and in other passages through Jeremiah and Ezekiel, we see that it has happened because of man's sins. But maybe now the people have repented and they're wondering why is there no deliverance? It seems like this situation will go on and on. And you notice in verse 2, the people appeal to their relationship with God. They don't appeal to their righteousness, but they appeal to their relationship. Remember your congregation, which you have purchased, which you have redeemed. They appeal to their relationship with God. And they are dwelling where God has dwelt, where God has lived, Mount Zion, where he has dwelt. The psalm particularly focuses on the destruction of the temple by the Babylonians and what devastation that was. 
turn your footsteps toward the perpetual ruins. The enemy has damaged everything within your sanctuary in verse 3. Remember God told Solomon that I have heard your prayer, Solomon, and I will answer the cry that you direct toward this house. He told him that in Second Chronicles 6 and Second Chronicles 7. He told him that in 1 Kings 8 and 1 Kings 9, but he says if the day comes that you turn away from me and worship other gods, that one day there will not be one stone left upon another that will not be torn down. Not one stone left upon another that will not be torn down. And the people that pass by will say, what happened to this house? And the answer will be, they forsook the Lord who brought them out of the land of Egypt and they have served other gods. That is the reality now for Israel. What was prophesied to Solomon by God in 1 Kings 9, 6-9 is now the reality. And it seems like that has been the reality forever. Verses 4-8 through eight provide a flashback on the destruction that these enemies brought when they destroyed the temple. Your adversaries have roared into the midst of your meeting place. They have come in like wild animals, like lions, roaring in the midst of God's meeting places. And they have set up their own standards for signs, or their own signs for signs. Actually, the same word is used twice here together. They have torn down everything that represented your God, or they, you as God, or they have taken it away in captivity. And they've set up their own signs for their own military, and for their own gods. And they have taken axes, as it were, and destroyed the delicate, carefully crafted works of art that made up that temple. In verses 5 and 6, it seems as if one had lifted up his axe in a forest of trees, and now all its carved work they smash with hatchets and hammers. They have taken these axes and destroyed all the careful artwork. How could God let this happen to his house? If God rules, why do things like this happen? The question's not new. The question's always been asked. In verse 7, they burned your sanctuary to the ground. They have defiled the dwelling place of your name. They have destroyed God's house. Destroyed it, wiped it out, obliterated it. In verse 8, they said in their hearts, let us completely subdue them. They have burned all the meeting places of God in the land. The King James Version has the word synagogues in verse 8. And that leads some to date this psalm many years after Babylonian captivity. Probably the translation meeting places is better. That there were places in the land where people got together and prayed. But the emphasis here is that God, they have tried to eliminate your name from this temple, 
from this whole land and from every place where you are recognized as God. This is a dramatic flashback to this pagan army coming in, a pagan army that worshipped other gods coming into God's house and destroying it and burning it. And that was devastating to the Israelite who loved God and who loved his house. What if people who defy God and lift up their fist against him did the same to the church building where you attend? Would you be broken? Would you be discouraged? Would you feel hopeless? Would you wonder why did God let this happen? In verse 9, we do not see our signs. There is no longer any prophet, nor is there any among us who knows how long. We don't have any indication of when this crisis is going to end. No signs, no prophets, no one knows. In verse 10, how long, O God, will the adversary revile and the enemy spurn your name forever? Notice how God's name is treated in this psalm. God's name is reviled. God's name is spurned. And the thing is, God could stop this crisis at any time he wants. In verse 12, why do you withdraw your hand, even your right hand, from within your bosom? Destroy them. Why is God holding his power, his right hand, with which he destroyed the Egyptians and divided the Red Sea and let Israel cross on dry land in Exodus 15, verse 6. Exodus 15, verse 12. That right hand is now kept in his bosom when he could with one mighty blow crush his foes. Why, O oh God? And how long? Is this going to prevail? How long? In verse 12, Yet God is my king from of old, who works wonders of deliverance in the midst of the earth. Verses 12 through 17 are a note of praise in the midst of this lament. God is described as king as he often is in the Psalms. From Psalm 5-2 onward, God is my king from of old. And God works wonders, deeds of deliverance in the midst of the earth. God divides the sea by his strength. He broke the head of the sea monsters in the waters. You crushed the head of Leviathan. You gave him as food for the creatures of the wilderness. What is being discussed here when it talks about God dividing the sea? It could be that God divided the sea from the dry land in creation in Genesis chapter 1. It could refer to God dividing the sea to let Israel cross over on dry land as in Exodus 14 and 15. But God in this action is pictured as breaking the head of the sea monsters and crushing the heads of Leviathan. Now, the term Leviathan is a transliteration of the Hebrew word 
used here. Leviathan is a word used in Psalm 104, verse 26, in Job 3.8, Job 41, an extensive description of Leviathan. In Isaiah 27, verse 1, I'm not sure, as a matter of fact, I, I don't think that Leviathan is always the same in all of these texts. I don't think it's always the same thing. And Isaiah 27 seems closer to its usage here. And you notice the term sea monsters in verse 13, which is a translation of the Hebrew term used in Genesis 1 in verse 21, where God created the great sea monsters to live in the sea. It is used in a passage, the word uh, tanim is used in a passage like this in Isaiah 27, 1, and in Isaiah 51 and verse 9. God broke the heads of the sea monster. God crushed the heads of Leviathan. He crushed Leviathan and then portioned out his body as food for the creatures of the wilderness. God is a mighty God. Now, whether this refers to God's act in creation or God's act in salvation from Egyptian bondage and dividing of the sea, or both, the point is God is mighty and God is strong and God could stop this chaos and disorder at any moment that he wanted to. In verses 15 through 17, as the text mentions, you broke open the springs and torrents and you dried up the ever-flowing streams. Yours is the day, yours also is the night. Some of the language of verses 16 and 17 has particularly led people to relate these words in verses 12 through 17 to creation. One thing I think is significant, we've tried to point out on this program previously that often the verb in Hebrew carries the person that is performing the action. The subject of the verb is often expressed in the verb. When there is a separate personal pronoun, it is for emphasis. In verses 13 through 17, the separate personal pronoun for you is used in every verse and twice in two verses, seven times in five verses. It is emphasizing, God, what you have done. Well, that is praise, verses 12 through 17, in the midst of this lament. But now, in verses 18 through 23, once again, they're asking God to remember the enemy. Remember this, O Lord, that the enemy has reviled and a foolish people has spurned your name. God is asked to remember in verse 2 and in verse 18 and again in verse 22. God is also asked in this psalm not to forget in uh, verse 19. Uh, so, God is asked to remember. God is asked not to forget. Notice the way the wicked are described. In verse 18, your enemy. In verse 18, a foolish people. But God's people are described in verse 19 as your turtle dove, while the enemy is a wild beast. And they beg God, do not forget the life of your afflicted. Do not forget the life of your afflicted. 
He begs God in verse 20, Consider the covenant for the dark places of the land are full of the habitations of violence. In verse 21, let not the oppressed return dishonored. Let the afflicted and needy praise your name. He asked that God deliver so that the afflicted and needy praise God. That they praise God. This is in contrast to the wicked people who spurn his name in verse 18. They spurned his name in verse 18. In verse uh, in verse 10, they revile and spurned his name. But in contrast to this, in verse 21, deliver your people, save your people, that they may praise you, O God. And he begs God to arise in verse 22. Arise, O God. And plead your own case. God is begged to arise and come to the aid of the people in Psalm 3, 7, Psalm 9, 19, Psalm 10, verse 12. Arise, O God, plead your own name. Remember how foolish the foolish man reproaches you all day long. Do not forget, verse 23, just like in verse 19, do not forget the voice of your adversaries, the uproar of those who rise against you sins continually. The word arise in verse 22 as he calls on God to arise is the same Hebrew word translated rise in verse 23. God is being asked to arise against those who have arisen against him. We do thank you for your patient listening to this podcast. Lord willing, next time, which hopefully will be soon, we want to do one on comparing Psalm 73 and Psalm 74 in a few points, but most of all, to emphasize Jesus' fulfillment of Psalm 73 or Psalm 74. Thank you, and may the Lord bless you.